Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. We are looking at Heidi High and this is part two. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, you should probably go and check that one out first. We've already taken a bit of a detailed biographical look at some of the main actors, as well as Jimmy Perry, the writer, of course. We've still got more actors to look at in this particular show, but we're also going to finish our look at the episode we were concentrating on. That's series two, episode two, Peggy's Big Chance. So without further ado, let's dive back in. Okay, so let's go back to our scene then. So we've had the, the brainstorm, we've had the setup for the episode, and now we, we go around and see some other things. And we go to Barry and, uh, Barry and Yvonne's chalet. <laughs> the Barry and Yvonne are the ballroom dancers. I want to spend a bit of time talking about these characters because they're, they're good fun. Yeah. But I, but I just said Yvonne, and I think it's only Paul Shane, but he constantly <laughs> refers to her as Yvonne, which makes me... Was it... It might have been in Phoenix Nights where one of the characters refers to someone as Wyvon, which I always enjoy. I, I, I can't remember if that's... I think it's Peter Kay. I can't remember. But, um, but anyway, so yeah, Barry and Yvonne. Were ballroom dancers considered mass market entertainment in the late 50s? Well, I think it was because this is a time where you would go as a leisure activity. You would go and, da- and have a dance. You would yeah. do ballroom dancing as a thing. It's, uh... Yes. So watching someone do it well would be a thing to do. Yeah. And I, I, I do like the characters in theory. Slightly aged out ballroom dancers. They I'd can't love to know the back. Do we anymore. ever get a backstory? Why are they at Maplin's? We do get little snippets um, mm. of their because obviously they're a married couple. Yeah, heavy implication that the male is gay. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, their backstory that just gets teased out here and there. We get little snippets. We never really get a good, solid idea of it. But Yvonne was pregnant to Ah. someone else, and Barry uh, did the right thing. I see. Whether that child was born or not is never mentioned. Certainly there's no mention of them having a child. But she was three months gone, uh, and (laughs) he stepped in and and helped her out. But then there's also a kind of... Because when they fall out and people go, why do you even like each other? And he says something like, oh, you don't realise when when everyone else turned against me, she she stuck with me. Yeah. So something's that. happened in his past, slightly scandalous. Mm-hmm. Who knows what? So the idea is they've been there for each other and be it a beard or what, they've helped each other and they're sticking together. They don't appear to like each other particularly, but then there, there are episodes where they fall out and then come together and like actually, oh mm. yes, you know what? I do love you after all. Kind yeah. Of thing. There's a really good sexual innuendo in this scene, which suggests <laughs> this is the biggest laugh. The biggest laugh that they get in the entire series. <laughs> yeah, so basically Barry's putting this floral wallpaper up. He's hanging the wallpaper. A little higher, Barry. The stalk's not quite lined up with the flower. <laughs> it's happened before, dear. It'll happen again. <laughs> Which is a great line. But, but, but delivered so well. And you really need to see Barry's face. To get the full delivery, <laughs> because uh, yeah, he's got he's got a great look, hasn't he? He's got a real hangdog face. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
uh, and Barry Howard, who plays uh, Barry, yeah, he leaves the show, yeah, uh, after series six, I think it is. And from what I understand, anyway, he and this is to his own admission as well. He yeah. was he had a problem with alcohol, and okay. it was becoming more and more of a problem, and it was affecting his performance, and so they chucked him out basically. Right. And he's replaced by a different character played by Ben Aris, Julian Dalrymple Sykes. Yeah, and there's an episode earlier on where. That character is brought in. Barry has a bad back, doesn't he? Yeah, Barry's put his back out, and this is this is obviously a former love of of, of Yvonne's. Yeah, exactly, and that was what the cast referred to as Barry's warning. Oh, interesting. Get pull yourself together because we will replace you. And obviously, oh, that he is interesting. And he was replaced, and I I think I, I've seen him talk about it in a kind of like yeah. It's fair, <laughs> you know. I was in. I was I had a problem, yeah. uh, and it hopefully overcame it in some point. Um, certainly, he made a little guest appearance in um, "You Rang, My Lord." Mm, so you sent me a copy of that. Yeah, does imply there's no bad blood there, but uh, mm. uh, yeah. And Julian Dalrymple Sykes, played by Ben Aris, he kind of provides a slightly different thing, and, it, and it, perhaps that's useful in the later series. Mm. It creates a different thing where he's he's completely in love with Yvonne and. Mm. She's wants him as well, but her high class status won't allow dirty shit. Well, this is it. This is the thing, isn't it? She has this status where she thinks she's way too good to be at Maplin's. She's way Mm. too good for the place, but there she is, you know. (laughs) And she, you know, she's she feels like she gives the impression she's above all of this, but there she is. And again, this is another character who comes a lot from reality in terms of the background rather than the personality. But Diane Holland, who played her, Mm. was a dancer. That was her career. Mm -hmm. And by this point in her life, was, you know, was no longer kind of able to do that professionally, so to speak. She had a dodgy hip, as most dancers probably do by the time they're in their 50s. And she did a bit of acting. She was in Crossroads for a while. uh, Sort of a regular thing of that. Any acting? <laughs> Sorry, that's a, that's a crap joke. Crossroads is no worse than anything else. That was a really bad joke. So uh, yeah, the, uh, interesting to note: you barely see Yvonne and Barry dancing. Mm-hmm. When Julian turns up, there are mm. a couple of really like, oh look, they're dancing, and they have a really good choreographed scene. Yes. And that happens a couple of times. Yes. I don't think I ever saw Yvonne and Barry actually dancing <laughs> in any real that's sense. A, that's a good observation. You're absolutely right. And certainly she was a dancer, albeit slightly, um, like she hid it well when she was dancing, you know, apparently yeah. the, the dodgy, dodgy hit. Uh, here's here's a little personal information for you. Hmm. Diane Holland, she was the sister of Jimmy Perry's wife. Oh, how about that? <laughs> Jimmy Perry's sister-in-law. Big like, f- decades prior, you know, like they'd been married for, for decades. So yeah. that's how she got the part. You know, he knew sure. her and thought, do you know what? You'd be right for this part. You've, you've got the mm-hmm. right background and everything. So, And I think, you know, uh, for all nepotism aside, does a really lovely job. And Absolutely. there's apparently nothing like that in real life. Can I mention an interesting piece of coding in the script here? That oh, yeah. It's Barry and Yvonne Stuart Hargreaves and Julian mm-hmm. Dalrymple Sykes. The double-barreled surname. Yeah. Now, in the 80s, the double-barreled surname was a very different thing to what it is now. Because now you have a lot more divorce, a lot more blended families. You know, half the England football team have got double-barreled names. Yeah. In 1980, a double-barreled name meant you were posh. It's posh, yeah. That is that is very clear coding. And it is made clear also that that is Yvonne's name. That is not Barry's name. 
Ah, okay. Uh, her name, because his real name is something is something like George Spate, you know, it's something, it's something yes. like Fred Gum or something like that. <laughs> uh, some very common name. So yeah, that that is made clear in the script as well. Yes, because she wouldn't want to sully herself with that sort of name. <laughs> okay, so we um, so we've had that little scene with um, in Barry and Yvonne's place, which doesn't really advance the script, but it's a nice bit of character action. Yeah, yeah. Then we go to the, the, what do you call it? The milk bar? What's it called? The happy cow? The, the laughing cow, I think it the is. The laughing yeah. cow. Well, I, 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 I've written down the cafe. Whatever. It's a, it's a place where they hang out and we can, uh, we can eavesdrop on their conversations. But it, it, it's, it's not a staff hangout. No, no, no. It's a publicly no, there's, there's, open there's bar. punters in there. Sorry, campers in there as well. But what we have a scene here of the female yellow coats and they're all, mm. they're all having a little bit of a grumble about Peggy because they feel like she's stepping in on their, their turf mm. here. Here's an, yeah, this is interesting because Gladys hates Peggy. Um, and she's really quite nasty yeah. to her. I think Gladys is a nasty piece of work, frankly. She can be. Um, yeah. But she defends, she defends Peggy, but she's not defending Peggy. She's defending Jeffrey's decision yes, because yes, yes. she hates the other yellow coats more than she hates Peggy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I, I find it surprising that the other yellow coats are quite nasty to Peggy. I think. Yeah. It's, uh, that's just, from a, just from a writing point of view, it feels like everyone should be on Peggy's side except for the people who actually make those decisions, the kind of the unseen map, yeah, Joe Maplin or whatever. And I think that is true to a large extent. Certainly Ted and Spike are saying, oh, give her a chance. She'd be good. Yeah. But Gladys is very much of the mind that she's not the right class of girl. She's not the right mm. type of girl. She's, mm. she's dirty, grimy, chalet cleaning scum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And obviously Gladys is more akin to that than perhaps you, the other yellow coats. Yes. Is it a threat? Does she see that? Is it like I've worked hard to kind of hide all that? Or cover or, or come over that sort of stuff. Yeah. I don't want this urchin coming and there's a lot of insecurity in Gladys in the character. Yeah. You know, she she doesn't want to be exposed as a fraud. She's got an imposter syndrome. Whereas the other yellow coats are very much just like, uh, oh, she's she's just weird and kind of potty. <laughs> but that is out of character, isn't it? Because you're right. You know, is there any other examples of that of the yellow coats being negative towards Peggy? Because I can think of a couple of examples where they talk to her and they're encouraging and they're nice. Mm. You know, that that one specific example of them bitching about her feels exceptional. This is still fairly early on in that kind of story mm. arc and obviously they have to develop it later on and they realise just how much the audience are on Peggy's side uh, and so I think they realise also that if we want the people to like these characters they've got to be on Peggy's side as well yeah. kind of thing. So then it can be the unseen hand that is holding her back. Should we talk about these yellow coats then? So we've got three female yellow coats here but let's use this opportunity to talk about all of the female yellow coats that we get throughout the series because they do change yeah. a little there is although there is one a Nikki Kelly who remains throughout the whole series right she's she's from Somebody, start to yes. finish and becomes sort of a bigger character as it goes along because and it doesn't feel like it was designed this way but they create her as the nemesis of, of Gladys yeah uh, her characterization is yeah it's absolutely set up in opposition to Gladys and yeah so she's sort of the young glamorous yellow coat that Gladys resents yes young glamorous yeah so there is a distinct changeover in cast and that comes mm. in in the point so the first five series of the show take place over the summer season of 1959 yeah and then opening of season six it's oh it's the it's 1960 summer season they've been away for five yes. months and now they've come back and so a couple of the yellow coats have changed over and it's like that's to be expected and we get one of those newer newer yellow coats is april who 
you know, we, we see have that relationship mm. with Spike. And so she, she has a larger role within the drama. Yes, although it never really goes beyond Yeah, being that, you never really kind of figure out that there's anything there, do you? But so yeah. we have Sylvia and April, but uh, and those two aside, the other female yellow coats are a bit like the male ones, aren't they? There's not there's not really a lot there in terms of unique characterization. Well that's the funny thing, because I think in the first series the the other two female yellow coats do chip in all the time and are kind mm. of we start to mm. establish a bit of character with them without doing too much but then when they're replaced in the later series it f- it feels like they're deliberately pushed out and they get yeah. very little to do i don't know yeah. if that's just my perception of it here's a one little trivia a sitcom trivia connection linda regan who plays april mm-hmm. in those later series she went on to marry brian murphy oh yeah as yeah, in I didn't know this. georgia George mildred. mildred yeah yeah he must be quite a bit older than her. <laughs> um, I can think of it. Nothing wrong but, with that. Uh, yeah, they were more models than actors. I think uh, yeah. a lot of them. Uh, they, that's what they were hired for. And they talk about in this scene what it takes to be a female yellow coat and what they are judged upon. Mm. And it's mostly legs. By yes. the sounds of it. Different time. Uh, a different time, pretending to be an even more different time. Yeah, yeah, I think so. In 1981, when this episode went out, that would have been a comment on the 50s or, you know, or the, mm. the late 50s that it was just all about your legs. Not yeah. like now in the enlightened 80s. And there is another episode later on in which Peggy, again, tries to become a mm. yellow coat and the man who's camp makes controller. that decision, the camp controller, yes, he basically tries to use that as an opportunity to exploit her yeah. and have sex with her. First, she doesn't kind of realise what's happened, but then other people It's quite do. rough, that episode. I, I was going to bring that up later. It's, it, mm. you know, it's a good bit of social realism. There, there's not a good resolution to it either. You know, she doesn't yeah. get to become a yellow coat. He keeps his job and everything moves on. She has to go back to cleaning shallies. Yeah, quite like that, actually, that they didn't yeah. just have him exposed as something and he loses his job and it's a great big happy ending. Because that, I, I like this sort of a little bit of a slap of reality in, in mm. this world, yeah. And, and we get a bit of that at the end of this episode, just to jump ahead, where... You know, the very end of this episode has a downbeat ending in which Mm. Peggy does not get the opportunity to become a yellow coat and basically say no. And she says, well, don't worry, I'm going to keep going and I'll keep trying. And that's the one thing Peggy has is completely indomitable spirit. Yes. uh, It makes her very likeable. But they weren't afraid to kind of put a bit of a downbeat ending on it like that every now and then. And certainly happened, with the yeah, Peggy character, there's, there's the occasional one where, you know, um, Spike has to decide that he's not going to get married and he has to give up a relationship to continue his curing comedy. And it's very, it's quite sad, uh, mm. you know, quite a sad ending. Mm. Sort of so we, we get this little, we eavesdrop on this conversation with the yellow coats. And then we look at the next table, which is where we have Fred and Mr. Partridge. And these are the sort of older members of the entertainment's staff so fred is in charge of the horses yeah he's a disgraced jockey a disgraced jockey yes indeed so is it do we do we learn what that is, is that some race fixing type thing he's been done for yeah he got done pulling a horse basically yeah. uh he claims it was you know his innocence but he yeah. was sanctioned by the stewards and was basically lost his license and the characterization of fred is that he's a bit thick and he stinks like he smells of horses. That's that's smells constantly horses, mentioned. Yeah. Um, and then Mr. Partridge is the Punch and Judy man. And his character has two things going for it. Number one, he absolutely hates kids. And mm-hmm. number two, he is a cataclysmic alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. Played for laughs. <laughs> well, I think this is Jimmy Perry's life experience drawing mm-hmm. from reality. A kid's entertainer who hates kids and drinks to uh, try and get through it. A kid's entertainer who hates that kids feels... is funny. I can go with that. But the, the alcohol thing felt... I don't know, it just felt like everybody knows he's got a drink problem. He's falling down drunk. They have to go and sort of rescue him and put him to bed. And he's he's a, a cataclysmic alcoholic. 
And it, it's a problem. It is it a is, problem. It is it's a not problem. Just he's a drinker, yeah. yeah. Whereas, say, Ted is obviously a heavy drinker and he sleeps it off and maybe moans about his headache the next day. Yeah, Mr. Partridge doesn't turn up for work and gets found yeah. in a bush. But it's played yeah. for laughs. I, I just, well, I don't know, it clanged with me. I, I didn't like it. But so in this scene, <laughs> you know, he's, they're, they're chewing the fat, but he's, he's putting whiskey in his black coffee. Yeah. I don't have milk in my coffee because it curdles, and then he pours the Irish whiskey in there, you know. <laughs> These two characters, again, and perhaps this comes back to what I was saying about earlier, that there's perhaps too many characters. They feel really underserved. They get the odd episode where it's like their story arc. Yeah. And Fred Quilly, the jockey, you know, he's a very lovable Per, like everyone likes him, he seems mm-hmm. like a kind-hearted, if somewhat simple chap. Sim- yeah, innocent, simple guy. Yeah, and he he really loves his horses. He looks after these old horses, you know, and that's that's very important to him. But then, like post change, post season six, yeah. he, he's really forgotten about. And mm. Mr. Partridge, uh, well, hang on, before we, before we move off, Fred, we've talked in the past about Felix Bonus quite a lot. Mm. We, you know, famously the the, the best warm up man in the business. Yeah. So how did he get this job? Was it, was it just that he'd been hanging around long enough? Because I, I don't want to be unkind. He's not a very good actor. He's not a very good actor. That's probably fair. So to give him such a big role is a is a big decision. But yeah, certainly you see him odd little appearances in loads of shows. We saw him yeah, in Porridge when we talked about that. But yeah, I think often he was the warm up man, and so they dropped him in because <laughs> yeah. he was there. But these, but not not in this. He was cast in this. This is a yeah. major role. He was, I, I get that's what. That's what I mean, I think Perry and Croft, you know, obviously they wanted good actors, but their main criteria were people who were going to be good to work with. Easy to work with and uh, fun yeah. and, and part yeah. of the family. Uh, I think that was kind of important over and above the, necessarily their acting abilities. And uh, he, he goes on to have the odd appearance in their other shows after this as well. Yeah. He did well out of it. What about Leslie Dwyer, who who plays Mr. Partridge? Yeah, I mean, he's proper old school. Uh, yeah. he, he, he was in Ealing comedies and stuff like that back in, yeah. in the 40s. and. Uh, yeah, really. He was the son of a music hall comedian, so he was kind of brought up in the industry. And a film actor, yeah, like I say, 40s and 50s. Mm. Uh, so this was a retirement gig for him. He was in his 70s when it started. Well, I'm almost afraid to ask this question because obviously he disappears and the cast change and we get Kenneth Connor replacing him. Yeah. What happened to Leslie Dwyer? He died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, what, well, what happened was he fell ill. And it's clear because I think it must be series four. Yeah. He's in all the location shooting, which is done before the studio shoots. He's Uh in all that, and he's not in any of the studio shoots. So he obviously fell ill enough that he couldn't do the full studio shoots. And they work around it by talking about him and off camera Mm. and blah, blah, blah. And then there's also, there's a character that's like a plumber or he's a handyman or something Uh where he's in a couple of scenes where he's talking directly to Felix Bonus. And like, they obviously just had that little bit of exchange, but otherwise they'd be able to ride it out. That's slightly awkward, but I think they actually cover it pretty well. The next series along, they write him out. So I think they were kind of just keeping the door open in case... Uh, but he was obviously ill. And so they write him out and make a big deal out of it in that Mr. Partridge is murdered and there's a big kind of who murdered Mr. Partridge oh, kind of thing. This. They find the body. But then it turns out he's not actually after all, but there is a <laughs> they do a bit of a murder mystery thing about okay. it. But then it turns out he's just gone away and decided to leave. All right. Yeah, so they wrote him out there and even then they had the potential to bring him back, I suppose, but he did die later on, maybe about a year after that. Okay. 
as they write out the character, that means they don't have a kids entertainer. And so they, they really use it, you know, they use it as, as script fodder. They So everyone has to pitch in and do some of the kiddies entertaining and that much okay. of their annoyance. And then they find Kenneth Connor's character, who Uncle Sammy, who's <laughs> like a homeless man busking on a it's beach. Weird. You know, doing. But Joe Maplin spotted him and likes the cut of his jib. The original setup of the character is Ted and Spike see him hustling on the beach doing some sort of puppet show. and But they're desperate for a kid's entertainer so okay. Ted's like oh come on look I can get you a job and they have to take him off and scrub like literally put him in the bath and scrub him and try and make him presentable right. and it's just a one episode guest thing in which he gets drunk and then like runs away because he can't fit in with the actually having a bed and stuff like that Yeah. and then uh, I guess whoever someone liked him because they brought him back the next series as oh I yeah see. now he's got a job and that's when they write in the storyline that he's got background with Joe Maplin and so he can get, right, okay. get in there and again, you know, especially considering you have got Kenneth Connor, who is this tower of British comedy, not to mention he was already in Allo Allo by that point. He'd come in to that kind of halfway through the show. They do very little with him. It's a real wasted yeah. character. I, 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 and I totally agree. You know, you said earlier that most of these guys were not household names before the Heidi High started. And, you know, yeah. Kenneth Connors was. He was a, a yeah. big star. Yeah. I, I, throughout, I'm just thinking, well, why have you bothered? Why have you bothered getting him in? You're not using him at all. You're not doing anything with him. It feels like they don't even try to do anything with him. It's not like they try and do it and it doesn't work. It's it's mm. just another body in the room. And Felix Boness's character as well just gets kind of pushed out and they barely do anything with him as well. Mm. Yeah, I don't know why that is. They they really get lost in the mix. I think we've covered most of our characters now. So let's let's go back to the episode and we go back to the entertainment's office where they're practicing the pool wheeze, having a dry run, if you'll forgive the pun. And there's there's this nice moment you alluded to earlier here where Ted teaches Spike how to slip on a banana skin. Yeah, so Spike is playing the funny bathing bell with the big bristles, mm-hmm. as Ted calls her. I, I really like this little bit. And it it's is great. like the old hand teaching it. And it's like, yeah, I get that. I can see. I see why that would work. You can't just slip on a banana peel. That doesn't. That's not yeah. funny. Step, heel, slide, 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 recover, trip, you're in. And Spike later nails it perfectly. He says, what I have taught you there, Spike, is comedy gold. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> He's like proper mentoring. And like all the yellow coats are just stood around watching, admiring this. Mm-hmm. this thing. A, ma- a masterclass of uh, pratfall. Yeah. And then in comes Peggy in the shark outfit. And it's, you know, yeah. at this point, it's obvious how this scene is going to play out. At the end, Peggy's <laughs> going to nearly drown. We all, we can see it as soon as we see the outfit. But, like, this is the scene where she's obviously a bit nervous about this, Peggy. Ted is really taking advantage of her here. Do you want to be a yellow coat or not? And, you know, Ted, Ted is a sort of, he's an avuncular chap and he's got a metaphorical arm around Peggy, but he's also taking advantage of her. He's also getting what he wants out of this situation. He does. And he goes a lot worse than this as well. There's another mm-hmm. episode. They go a big thing where someone wants to build a hospital on some land, but Joe Mapp oh, yeah. wants the land to build further chalets and stuff. Yeah. And so they are all dead against, like, he says they have to help ruin this sale so the hospital doesn't get made. And they're all like, no, we're not doing it. A hospital is important thing. And they and it gets to a point where they're prepared to put their jobs on the line. And Ted is the one who's like, I'll do it. Yeah, 20 <laughs> quid to make sure this doesn't happen. Yeah, I'll sort that out for you. And he enlists Peggy, yeah. her help, by giving her a chance to be a yellow coat, so helping her fulfill her dreams. She doesn't realize... He obviously spins her a bunch of lies. Yes. So he she doesn't realize why she's doing it. But then everyone else hates her for it because she's been part of this plan to... Exactly. And she, she's completely innocent in the whole thing. 
And when she finds out, and again, it's one of those tragic endings, she finds out that Ted has manipulated her and she's devastated and she th- like throws the yellow coat on the floor kind of like if this is what i have to do to be a yellow coat then i don't want it and so that's yeah. obviously that's her life's ambition to become a yellow coat so that means something and then the next episode she's just like oh no it's like, oh, aren't you angry at ted like no no he explained to me that it was a spy who came in and like they yeah. had to, we had to <laughs> you know it was a plot uh it, it, you know Sitcom there's some reset. kind of nonsense story he's just yeah which felt a bit that felt too much if you're going to have that really hard hitting ending you need to play it out uh in terms of yeah comedy reset that felt mm. a bit too much don't play with our emotions like that but the point is it really shows ted in quite a nasty light yeah. and i yeah, think it goes him, too far on he's that one selfish. i think for the most part we find that balance of he's a cheeky chappy he'll con you out of your brass bed knobs but he's a nice guy and cuddly so it's mm-hmm. all right you know okay so we then get we get a little interstitial scene with gladys on the public address which we've talked about before a bit of affected speech hors d'oeuvres <laughs> i like the bit where she says wear a red ribbon round your arm if for non-swimmers so you don't get thrown into the pool yeah yeah <laughs> so it's like anyone can get thrown into the pool so be, yeah. be prepared <laughs> and then we go poolside so this is the big sort of climax to the episode and we're gonna see the wheeze we're gonna see the pool wheeze mm. so yeah they're throwing campers in the pool ted's ted's on the microphone heidi hi ted can't hear you heidi hi all that all that business <laughs> then we get a we, we get a lovely bit of butlin's action here with a the cake eating competition oh yeah so you know the the idea is this five people sat on the stage and they got to eat the cake as much or as much cake as they can in three minutes i think that's what it is in 2023 you would call this billy butlins was ahead of his time you would call this user generated content so this is how <laughs> you know this is how tiktok and instagram make their millions they get their users to create their content and that's exactly what billy butlin did so yeah. there would be every week there'd be a knobbly knees competition glamorous grannies There'd always be a holiday princess competition, which was like a, you know, a miss, a, a beauty contest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have the fancy, kiddies fancy dress. I, I remember when I was at Butlins, the talent competition was a big deal. It was like there were heats at the start of the week and the final was on Friday night in the theatre. And people would, people would come on holiday to do that. You know, yeah. it wasn't, people would come and that was like their big purpose for the week. It was pretty serious. And, you know, you'd get some talented people. That's great because that means Billy Butlin doesn't have to pay a comedian to be on that night or get a band in the theatre on a Friday night because yeah, he's got yeah. you lot doing it. And, yeah, the prize would be like oh, a free week's holiday next year. Or in this case, the cake-eating competition, yeah. Ted goes, congratulations, here's your prize, a cake, and then cake. just yeah. dumps it in that is, that is a nice punchline, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, the story about the stories about Billy Butlin, he, 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 was, he was a bloody genius, a marketing genius. The story is that he was trying to get this camp... His first camp open and he'd got you know he'd sold this week of holidays and it wasn't quite ready so the very first thing the first activity that the campers the first week at butlins did was paint their chalets (laughs) you know it was like a competition so you'd have the green block against the blue block and who could paint their chalets the quickest (laughs) i I don't know if that's an apocryphal story but i was told that i was told that on my induction at butlins it's a great story And while we're here, all this all this pool stuff, obviously location shooting. Mm. All the location shoots they obviously did before the series, but it's all the outdoor stuff in the holiday camp, so it's mostly pool stuff. Yeah. But then you've also got all the scenes in the Hawaiian ballroom, um, which <laughs> is... Do that again. The Hawaii, Hawaiian ballroom. <laughs> that's better, but still very poor. <laughs> <laughs> and that's obviously an interior set, but a big enough space that they they couldn't yeah. adequately do it in on a studio set uh-huh. so all the all the ballroom scenes are pre-filmed as well yeah. but just to talk of the 
the outdoor stuff specifically mm-hmm. because obviously this is a holiday camp, but it's got to be off season. So this, they were shooting this stuff in October. I, I noticed in this scene that the female yellow coats who were in bikinis looked freezing. Yeah, <laughs> they were shaking with cold. Yeah, yeah. You hear the stories; it doesn't feel like a particularly great situation yeah. to be in. Yeah, yeah. Just freezing cold and then jumping in the pool uh, uh-huh. and, and dressed for summer. Uh, yeah, so that was a, 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 certainly a, a burden for the actors, and and it was Jeffrey Holland who gets thrown in six times a series. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so so I just said a minute ago we got Ted getting the crowd hyped, and then we uh, we have this beautiful scene of uh, of Jeffrey, of Mr. Fairbrother. Mm-hmm. Doing exactly the same. Almost the same. Well, it's the same lines, but he does it so badly. <laughs> Jeffrey can't hear you, Heidi High. Give me strength. It is amazing how he just never gets better at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's. Anyway, so the wheeze starts, and the music starts playing, and then Gladys runs up there so she can start singing. Yes. I don't I just don't, I don't get it. It's magnificent. Why, why, though? Why not just... If you're playing a music, why not just play a record with vocals on it? I, I don't... It doesn't matter. I'm getting, I'm getting sidetracked. Anyway, the plant... The wheeze starts to unfold. So we've got Peggy in, uh, like, a, a sewage tube, ready to be mm. slid into the water. Spike's mm. in drag. He does his step, heel... Slide, 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 recover, trip, you're in. Although actually, not to be pedantic, but he doesn't do that. The thing they practiced, he doesn't, he doesn't fall into the pool in that way. He just, he just trips and falls and it's, it's like, oh, we had that whole setup. You got actually, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm getting sidetracked again. Anyway, spikes in drag. He falls into the pool. We've now got the yellow coats in bikinis. Peggy's now slid into the water. Ted's giving it. Oh, here comes the shark. He's trying to build the drama. But then- I do love. I do love what Ted. Ted. Whenever they do these wheezes around the pool, it's always like, "Hey, don't drop that banana peel there." <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, as everyone who's got eyes could predict, Peggy sinks under the water and just begins to drown. And and it, and it's Jeffrey who stands up and says, "Okay, this is enough," because Ted would let her drown <laughs> if it yeah. was entertaining. Yeah, we got a wheeze to complete. <laughs> So, so they fish her out and she's coughing and choking. But then her first words are, I think I'm getting the hang of it. Can we do it again? She is absolutely <laughs> game. She's up for it, is Peggy. She is, yeah. This is a sort of um, what I would call a, a physical comedy bit. And they have they don't lean on it too heavily in Heidi High. Uh, but they have the odd moment. There's one one episode where they have to break into the Hawaiian ballroom to steal something. And they get oh, yeah. trapped. Uh, there's there's a very famous bit where they're, on, they're dressed up as a pantomime horse riding a horse um, <laughs> that was particularly famous. I mean, that is funny. Yeah, so things like that. Uh, but they don't lean on it too heavily, which I like, because it's the sort of thing I associate much more with, like, alo alo type uh, Yeah, humor. I mean, you're not wrong about this being some physical comedy, but it's not pratfalls. I, I, I don't... I, I've watched quite a lot of Heidi High in the last week or two, and I don't think of it as physical comedy. No. Yes, it has elements of it, but it's, that's not what it's all about. Also, as I say, I, I think it starts to go downhill a bit as we go along, and a, a later series, there's more and more filler and mm-hmm. this is the sort of thing they use as filler. There's, I can't remember which series, but it's like the opening episode of the series, and it's not a half-hour show. It's like a 48 minutes or something, and I suspect they weren't told this until after they'd written the script, and they said, oh, let's make it a feature length as it's a new episode, new series. So there's a whole bit in that where they do a pool wheeze, 
where they're like, you know, there's a race and they're paddling yeah. along and they save the the Virgin Island Virgin and all this. And it's not funny at all. It's just them doing a pool wheeze. It, it's not like it goes wrong or it, it's just what you would see at a holiday camp. Okay. And it's just like, oh my God, this is eight minutes of filler that they yeah. obviously had to throw in. It, I start to see more and more of that as we, as we go along. Okay. I'm starting to move into the moan about the later series well, period of the show. Well, let's finish this episode, and then we'll, then <laughs> yeah, we'll, go we'll give you free reign to moan. <laughs> so uh, after we finish the wheeze, we get the next scene is Peggy. She's smoking a fag outside the entertainment director's office. And this is the her payback. She's been the shark. This is her chance to be a yellow coat. She's basically got an interview to be a yellow coat. So she's outside. The other yellow coats come along. And now they seem to be genuinely wishing her good luck, you know, almost as if she's yeah. she's paid her dues. She she did the she did what she said she would do. And you know, good luck to her. And and this is more in character with everybody sort of being on Peggy's side. Then we cut to Jeffrey's office. Now, here's an interesting point, production point. This scene, there's a big pause at the start of the scene. Did you notice this? There's like half a second where they're all waiting to be cued. It's just yeah. badly edited. I did notice that. It wasn't too bad, but it was definitely like not quite as slick as you expect mm. uh, this sort of thing to be. Yeah. Is it? yeah. Anyway, so so Jeffrey gets a call for the entertainment's director and Peggy didn't get the job. Of course. Gladys sticks the toe in a little bit. She's like, well, she was never going to get it. She's not good enough. And, and then obviously Peggy comes in and there's a sort of sad ending, which we've already mentioned. Yeah. And this is something they managed to drag out for eight years, Peggy wanting to become a yellow coat. Yeah. But I think they actually do a pretty good job with it. That plot line doesn't feel too dragged out, shall mm. we say. I feel like it, it works. And in, in, in character years, it's just the two seasons. Of course. And, and and just to jump to the very end of the show, the very end of the series, yeah. uh, she does get a chance to become a yellow coat. Um, yeah. She goes a bit wild and <laughs> passes out from nervous exhaustion. <laughs> but they're basically like, yeah, you know what? She could be a yellow coat. And do you know what? She'd be a great yellow coat. Of course and she it's would. it's pretty clear to everyone. that, And like that, oh, that first overexcitement will settle down and she'll just become a really good entertainer. Yeah. But then, uh, like, as one last kind of kick in the ribs for Peggy is that she officially becomes a yellow coat and then the camp closes down. So the job doesn't even exist anymore. So that final episode, it's like terribly sad. It's really Mm. tragic at the end. Like, we get this, the comedy and the sort of uplifting bit of the plot comes from Peggy's final victory and success. But it's all undercut by this... Like, the whole thing's coming to an end. We know it's the final episode, of course, but everyone's going to go their separate ways. It's the mm-hmm. end of an era. You know, they've all got to... Spike's going to go off and go and work in the tax office and he's stuck with April. That This is mm. it. It's the end. Yeah. And they really play it with, with Ted. Uh, and mm. Paul Shane has a lovely scene where he's yeah. just looking over the, the camp one last time. And he, and he knows that his options are limited. Yeah, This has been his bread and butter for 17, 18 years. Whereas perhaps Spike can go back to a job in the tax office or whatever. I was just thinking about all the wonderful times we've had around this pool. <laughs> just think of the times I've been chucked in. We've seen the best of it, Spike. They'll all be going abroad now. And they'll get the sun. But without you and me, they won't have the fun. The others are younger. He's he's set in his ways now, yeah. and he's worried. And he also and he also sees it, and even states as much that it's the end of an era. It's not mm-hmm. like this camp's closing. This type of holiday is going away. But I don't think that's true. I don't. I don't think that's accurate. I don't. Those camps were thriving in the sixties. That's that's not. They weren't closing down. Basically, when this was made in nineteen eighty eight. 
that's when those camps were closing down. Yeah. So that that's the the writers saying this is the end of an era, but actually in, mm-hmm. in 1960 it wasn't. It didn't really work for me that. Yeah, fair enough. So this is so that we, we're talking there about the final episode, but our episode, season two, episode two, we've also got this where it, it sort of ends on a, on a sad note. This this happens quite a lot. There was several episodes I watched where it, it sort of fizzles to an end. It doesn't really. The episodes aren't rounded off and structured like mm. sitcom episodes traditionally are. Even some of the early episodes, there's, it's like they don't know quite how know how to finish it. And so they have these scenes where Spike and Ted are fishing or, or something mm. like that. And they just have a little couple of lines. And it never really, it's never funny. It never, it it's fizzles. Like, it's, it fizzles out. It's not this epilogue that puts a button on it. It just, no. yeah, there's, there's some weird little bits like that. For, for such pro writers, you know, who should be able to kind of cap it off at the end. But I tell you what, this show is really pleasant to be around. Like I say, my memory of it is a little mixed because of I was a child and then I was a teenager. But as our listeners will know by now, what happens when we review a sitcom is you watch every single second of every single episode and you send me a few. Mm. And this is the, probably the first time where I've asked you to send me some more. I was really enjoying mm. watching them. I was really enjoying spending time with the characters. It's an easy watch. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's not the greatest sitcom ever. It's not my favourite sitcom ever, but it was nice to be around. It's an easy watch. That's a good way of putting it. And that's exactly what Croft and Perry are making. Then, Like I say, they're not trying to be cutting edge and break new ground. They're trying to make a really good, solid sitcom. Yeah. And that's what they did, and that's why they've had so much success. Um, my my complaints come later in the show. Let's tackle this. Yeah, I mean, I've watched the whole thing, over, obviously, over quite a small period of time compared to how it was supposed to be watched. But I do think there are significant changes. Obviously, we have a major cast change in that Simon Cadell left. Mm. They replace his character with Wing Commander... Clive Dempster, played by David Griffin, yeah, who was another one who was, you know, this is the role that made his name. He did do um, Keeping Up Appearances after this, yes. of course, as the neighbour. He was really very different character in that. Mm. Uh, but here he plays the lovable rogue, you know, the the posh RAF boy who yep. has never known how to earn a, a penny and now has to have this job and really doesn't want to do any work. And it's it, I like that. It creates a different dynamic. Yeah. Whereas Ted used to have to try and do his fiddles without the authority knowing. Now he needs to do it without the authority getting too much uh, of a cut. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they can work together somewhat. The 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 big will they won't they with Gladys changes changes pace, but is basically the same. Mm-hmm. Will they? Won't they? Or be a different dynamic? I don't particularly like how that's wrapped up. See, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you on the the Gladys thing because. You know, Gladys and Jeffrey, as I've explained, she was predating on upon him and he was rebuffing her. And that was the that was the dynamic there. Whereas it feels to me like with Clive, he's taking advantage of her. She's fallen besotted in love with him and he's sort of toying with her. Yes, and he does so with all the other women as well. And so it's Indeed. kind of a very and different he, dynamic. And I, his kind of attitude is like, hey, look, you know, you'll see what I'm doing. Everyone knows <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. But then when the circumstances make it that he has to kind of do something about that, he, he regrets it. <laughs> and he, their relationship develops along the lines of, well, if we just make him say that he loves her enough, he will eventually. Yeah. And then he does. And it works. Yeah. And it kind of works in that it's it's that, hey, you know what? You're getting older and it's time to settle down. And this is the sort of woman who's the perfect woman to settle down with because she's such a good woman and she's good at this, good at this, good at this. 
uh, it just feels a little settle. bit kind of rushed towards the it, it, end. It's time it's to settle. settle, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. And it just feels a bit rushed towards the end because they actually have them getting married and all sorts of stuff like that. So it, it, it yeah, I didn't quite need such a concrete ending, but our ending in general is not that concrete. They're all kind of just like, yeah, we'll come back next year. Everybody ready mm. for next year? Sorry, we're closed. Oh, and that's yeah, it. it they're, so they're all a bit like, oh, right, I don't know what I'm going to do then. And in fact, Clive and Gladys are the ones that really kind of do have a solid, oh, well, we're just going to go off and kind of have our lives together kind of thing. Yeah. But I think in general, he's a nice addition, that character. And it, and the changes they make, it's a difficult one, but I, I think it is a good idea to go with something very different mm-hmm. and it works. I, I, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think it's different enough. It, it's Sure, it's a different character. But it's just a different posh bloke doing a slightly different thing. I don't like the dynamics of the second group as much as the first mm. group. I, I really like Simon Cadell's presence. And it's not, there's nothing against yeah. David Griffin. I, th- I just don't like the character. Completely changes the dynamics of the main cast. Well, I think some of that change comes not because of that cast change, but just generally they think like So th- that relationship between Ted and Spike dissipates mm. and we don't get much of that mm. they they try and do stuff with spike in april which never really takes a hold yeah. of anything it, that feels that weak and they start to do much more serialized plots so they kind of start with doing some two-parters where a plot will start and then roll okay. over into the next episode and then by the end it, it's really serialized it's really much more like an allo yeah. allo style kind of it's continual mm. plot and i don't like that Particularly, that's perhaps personal taste, but the fact that it changes as it goes along, I, I think it's I think it's a sign of weakness in the writing, frankly. And you lose you lose Fred Quilly as a character, Kenneth Connor's character just may as well mm. not be there anymore. Yeah, the new yellow coats they bring in don't add anything, and and then the story just becomes more about serving this two maybe three plot lines that you've got trundling yes. along, which is you know will they won't they. Spike and April and Peggy wants to be a yellow coat, and it's like yeah. everything else sort of just revolves around that. And 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 maybe it's just tired. Maybe it's just we've done the same. We're doing the same thing over and over again. I I mm. do think sixty episodes is a lot to get out of any situation. Yeah. Frankly, yeah. I know the Americans don't feel that way, but Perry and Croft seemed very happy to push things right until people said you can't do it anymore. I don't think they ever chose to stop it. Okay, so what else? What else have we got to talk about? We've got well, we always talk about the titles. So why don't we talk about the opening titles i tell you first thing i found interesting about those opening credits is who they put in them the actors they put in them mm-hmm. which in the first series is simon cadell ruth maddock paul shane and um jeffrey holland yeah so like i say none of these guys were stars those were the four primary actors they were the principal kind of cast that we were building this around mm-hmm. after simon cadell leaves sue pollard comes into that ah Sue Pollard, I think, was, uh, and rather Peggy, was the breakout star of this. I don't think, yeah. I think she became a bigger part than perhaps they intended in the first place. Okay. Uh, and and so she was the one who got her face on that opening credits, as opposed to David Griffin, who was actually the sort of direct replacement. Uh, yeah, but also in the background, uh, we have, I guess, some scene setting 1950s newsreel footage well now i have done my research oh <laughs> so oh. so yes oh so you have um yeah you have the stars in the center of the screen in a little sort of circle and in the background there is there's four corners of the screen with black and white pathé newsreel type clips mm. so here's what i identified all right go on it's quite a lot firstly macmillan visiting khrushchev in moscow 
I googled it. That was February 1959 that happened. Okay. You've got Like of the Dog going at that rocket and being sent into space yeah. to die. That was November 1957. Okay. Fidel Castro. There's a picture of Fidel Castro. Now, Fidel Castro reached Havana in January 1959. So I think it's him delivering a speech. So I think that must be uh, him winning the Cuban Revolution, you know? Right. Okay. Yeah. Something in Africa. Don't know. <laughs> Don't know. I'm sorry that if that makes me a massive racist. What makes you think it's in Africa, then? It's Alec Douglas Hume meeting, well, basically black dignitaries. Um, <laughs> All right, and yeah. he was Commonwealth Secretary from 1955 to 1960. So there you go. I'm having that as research. <laughs> Elvis joins the army. Elvis enlisted March 1958. So you get Elvis in his, in his uniform joining the army. Mm-hmm. The Older Master March, the birth of CND. Ban the bomb marches. That was April 1958. Right. Now, here's, here's, here's a good one. The Archbishop Macarios. <laughs> you recognise him straight away? You're not going to believe this, but I did. Like, I am a proper <laughs> history nerd. I recognise him. <laughs> I, I, listen, I've Googled dates and things here, but I, pretty much all of this I recognised, you know, visually. Oh, yeah. Archbishop Macarius. So he was like the, the leader of Cypriot independence. He was like Cyprus's Nelson Mandela, you know? Oh, right. And they gained their independence in August 1960. But there was, you know, there was a lead up to that. Hmm. And then the last one, and I'll be honest, I got stuck on this one. This was, it was Billy Graham. Yeah. Billy Graham, the American evangelist who uh, visited the United Kingdom, actually met the Queen in 1958. I had to, I had to get my dad's help with that one. I, I, I didn't <laughs> recognize him. But what we've got there is some real scene setting. Now, my question is, well... The first question is, if you are in 2023 watching those, how, how many of those would the average viewer be able to pick out? I dare not say quite, not yeah. many, right? I am a nerd. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. In 1980, how many people would have been able to pick that out? So that would be like us watching newsreels from, well, 2003. Yeah, you get a bit of, bit of Tony Blair and, yeah. you know, yeah. After, it's after 9 11. You'd recognize a lot of it, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Listen to the Arctic Monkeys. <laughs> other, other atrocities <laughs> yeah sorry that, was that crass I didn't mean that I was, just, I was just trying to pick cultural touchstones that was all uh, anyway, yeah. anyway anyway, I found that really interesting what about the music well if you feel I'm lonely and get them in a stew just bend your ear come over here and man here's what you like the first couple of lines, it feels like it's Paul Shane singing what feels like a sort of bolderized version of Heartbreak Hotel. But then it goes upbeat. It's not Paul Shane in the opening credits. It's not Paul Shane. No, no. Paul Shane on the closing credits. Okay. All right. I'm going to have to go back and listen now because in my head, I've just, I thought it was both. The opening credits, it's actually it's actually sung by a guy called Ken Barry, uh-huh. who was also the voice of Postman Pat. Well, he's just generally a voice actor and singer. Um, and obviously, it's a kind of doing an Elvis voice. That's the yeah. point. The closing credits is a sort of slightly different version with Paul Shane singing, and it was released as a single in the 80s, such Brilliant. as the success of the show. Reached number 36. Oh, okay. The minor hit. <laughs> well, we can call that a minor hit. It's more records than I've ever sold. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then we have the kind of neon sign uh, visual before mm-hmm. the, the newsreel footage. And then over the closing credits, we have the You Have Been Watching, of course, Perry and Croft, where they, they do the... just You just see all the actors. Well, kind let's of... talk about this, because we talked about this during Miranda, yeah. and you hated it viscerally. Mm, yeah, but you actually it's... said when we were talking about Miranda, it's not as bad when Croft and Perry do it. So justify yes. that statement now. It gets worse. So in Dad's Army, for example, they just have stock footage of them... You know, the, the troops going across a field and then picks them out and names the actor. Whereas in Heidi High, it's a little insert of them kind of in 
character right come. there and then. Yeah, like as, you know, so if they've just been dressed up as a clown, they'll be dressed up as a clown, you know, that sort of thing. And they kind of look to camera and, and say hello or whatever. Or, or sometimes it feels like they're very much in character. They may even be mm. kind of referring to something that's happened in the episode mm. visually. And that's a, that's the difference between Heidi High and Miranda. It, it's breaking character. Yeah. So your, your argument is that in Heidi High, they're breaking the fourth wall. In Miranda, they're breaking yes. character. I'm not sure that's right, but I, I take your point. Maybe it's just a sense of smugness, but um, <laughs> yeah. There we go. Uh, one one other thing as well, stage versions. They they did a they mm. did a stage show like a musical version when that when the show was at its height in sort of 1983. Oh, okay. For a few years, they with did the, a, with the TV cast. Most of them, yeah. Mm. It was like the summer season thing. They they would film and and then go out over winter and then during the summer season, oh, okay. go to Bournemouth or Blackpool and do do a musical, play Pontins. Yeah, and it was a and they were big hits. I think you know it was uh, hard work for the actors because you just kind of basically means you do this the whole year round and you don't oh, have yeah. any other work. But I was just going to say maybe that explains was, why a lot of them weren't in much else. It was good work though, you know. Good. Sure. I, I, I'm not knocking it, but you know it means that there's no time to do anything else. I'd be interested to ask one of them, but I, I suspect you get better money from a, a theatre run than a TV run because, really? um, certainly up front, because you get I don't know how much it is, you know, is eighty quid a week to be in a sitcom. You probably get more than that to be a stage show, and it'll and it runs for three months or whatever, rather than yeah, I see. You might get more royalties off the back end on a on mm. a TV show if it's successful. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I think theatre back in those days, certainly sitcoms didn't pay much. And then there was a, a sort of stage revival they did in 2010 without the original cast or with a couple of exceptions. Uh, that being Barry Howard playing Barry Stewart Hargreaves. Yeah. And would have been 70s by that point, but I guess didn't do too much dancing. And Nikki Kelly playing Yvonne Stewart Hargreaves. Oh, that's interesting. In so obviously, she's okay. aged up a bit by that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. But then everyone else just sort of a original, original cast, uh, not original cast as in new, new people. Sure. That's re- it really in terms of post game, um, what came after the show. Right? They do the odd yeah. reunion stuff and, and little kind of documentary about how it was. But in all of these things, it's just everyone going about how amazing it was and how much they like each other and they're still friends yeah. and all this sort of thing, which is nice, yeah. <laughs> but not very scandalous. I've got a quiz question for you. Oh, it's a this is your life question, obviously. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. This is your life. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, there were four episodes of this is your life that featured members of the Heidi High ensemble, members of the Heidi High team. You're going to ask me who it was. Who were the four that got their own episode? Is this cast members, actors? Cast and crew. Okay. So I know Paul Shane definitely did. Yeah. Because I remember reading something about it. See, I would say Sue Pollard, because I think she's the biggest sort of celebrity out of it all. I also think Sue Pollard's the sort of person who doesn't want people digging around in her personal life that much. <laughs> <laughs> it's just my thinking. In the in the 80s, Sue Pollard married a gay man. Um, and she she has been a... She, I think she is a bit of a queer icon, yeah, Sue Pollard. I think she's so. a sort of camp person. Uh, yes. Yeah, to the point where she married a, a gay man. Um, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure if she knew at the time or not. It's unclear. Um... I say Jimmy Perry and David Croft both separately. So you're going Shane, Pollard, Croft, Perry. I want to scrub Pollard out. I want to go with Ruth Maddock. Well, you're almost there. So it's Paul Shane, Sue Pollard and Ruth Maddock both had a show. Oh. And then curiously, David Croft did, but Jimmy Perry never did. Mm, That's interesting. That's probably... 
I, I think Jimmy Perry met the criteria, but if they say they don't, they, they kind of get in touch with your agent and say, look, if we ever do this, is that okay? Yeah. And if you say no, then they won't do it. I, I, I think that often happens when, when people go, Oh, how come so and so, so and so hasn't got a knighthood, hasn't got an MBE, you know, he deserves one. And it's like, probably because he don't want one, mate. <laughs> yeah, probably told us yeah. stuff it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, that's interesting. So I said earlier, I said that, you know, I'd enjoyed Heidi High. It was nice to be around. I feel like I already sort of did my summary. What's your What's your take on Heidi High? I haven't watched the whole thing start to finish. I enjoyed it. it. It started to go downhill for me, but never to a point where it was unwatchable. It just got tired, I think. But the magic ingredient, I think in this case, it's Paul Shane and Sue Pollard. Those yeah. are the two people who rise above and it's like, you can't see anyone else playing these characters. Ruth Maddock, I think, brings something really special. Yes. As does uh, Simon Cadell. And that, obviously that was your main kind of cast, Jeffrey Holland. Mm. But I feel like you could replace those guys. Whereas Paul Shane is Ted Bovis. Sue Pollard is mm-hmm. Peggy uh, Oleron Shaw. But that, 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 that sort of principal cast works really well. And, and yeah. it creates that dynamic. The chemistry is there. And as I said, uh, the, the Perry Croft thing, was they created a family. And that's what they've got here. They've got that chemistry, the, f- the sense that people want to be there and are enjoying. Yeah. There's warmth together. there, isn't there? There's, there's, there's warmth, and mm. that. It, well, I think we talked about this when we did Miranda in the last series. That idea of feeling engaged. Miranda used the talking to us as the device, but I think yeah. with Heidi High, it's that genuine collegiate warmth that we feel mm. part of. Yeah. Yes, and uh, a fun watch, an easy watch. Yeah, agreed. But uh, just one last thing, Heidi High. I don't think Heidi High has the cachet of, say, a Dad's Army or even maybe LOLO. Is it as well remembered? I know it's re- well remembered, but compared to some of those other similar ones, does it? I'm, I, 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 I disagree. Sure. I, I think that I would suggest that Dad's Army is perhaps uh, head and shoulders above. It's Heidi High thing. and LOLO, I would say, are remembered on a similar basis, I think. Mm. But no, it doesn't get repeated. But then when was that lower low last repeated? Yeah, I don't know. But I think Heidi High could easily go out today and, and get an Absolutely. audience. Absolutely. I, I just... As I said that, there are obvious reasons why LOLO isn't repeated. You know, funny Nazis mm. are probably not as, as politically correct as they used to be. But... There's nothing in Heidi High that you you couldn't put out now. The obvious comparator there is It Ain't Half Hot Mum, which has fallen foul of um, <laughs> the PC brigade, dare I say. But that's because it's dealing with things, at the very least, you need to kind of have the context for, right? The mm. way that it talks about certain things. Mm. But Heidi High isn't. It, uh, Heidi High doesn't really, apart from the odd little line here and then, it feels like it totally could go out today and uh, would be very watchable. So why don't yeah. they repeat it? Hey, why not? But I'm sure it is. I'm sure it probably does go out on UK Gold or whatever. They call it, it might nowadays. do. It might do. Okay, so before we finish up, Alan, what are we doing next? We're going old school. Old school. Another team of writers who we haven't dealt with yet, but have got a very large place in sitcom history, Esmond and Larby, and we're going back to basics with Please Sir. Old school. Mm, old school. Great. So we will let people know on our social media exactly which episode they need to watch before uh, next week. But if you want to tell us anything, give us any feedback about this, uh, about Heidi High or about the show, then you can contact us via Instagram. We are at BritComPod. Or if you go on Facebook and just Google British Sitcom History Podcast, you'll... Don't Google it. Put it in the search bar on Facebook. Did you see how Google has just become an interchangeable verb for search? It just means search. It just means yeah. search on the internet. Go on Facebook and Google us. You'll find us. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>